Welcome to the Develop in the Dark podcast, brought to you by New Spring Church. We'll prepare you with biblical truths to help you meet the demands of your reality. Hey friends, so glad you're with us for Develop in the Dark. On this episode, how do you know what to believe as a Christian? You know, there's major doctrines out there. There's minor doctrines. We're taught to major on the majors and minor on the minors. So how do you tell the difference? And how do you navigate through all the voices that are out there that are telling you, this is a major, this is a major. We're going to talk about that today. We hope that this is going to be helpful to you as you develop in the dark. Brad, we really questioned how we were going to start this podcast. Yeah, this is unique because we're going to talk about something I think everybody's going to be really excited about. But it's but, hard to get into. Yeah, what what the question we're going to answer is, I told you, Trev, I remember sitting in church as a young man and hearing my pastor say from the stage, hey, Christians, we've got a major on the majors and minor on the minors. What did he mean by that? And exactly, what, mm. what's a major and what's a minor? Mm. In our cultural world, we are Protestants. Mm right? Generally speaking. And Protestant comes from the word protest and protesting is how the Protestant denomination began. And so it's like, we, we disagree. Got we got it in our DNA. We do. We? we can't help it. We disagree. We disagree. But then now there is this word that gets thrown out so much. Mm. The word is heretic. Heretic, heresy. Mm. That's it, heretical. It, it, it really does feel like, especially in social media spaces, that so many Christians are on a heretic hunt. Yeah. Right? That everyone's calling everyone a heretic. So I, we just want to talk about that. What a in bit. the world is that what word? Is that, is that a thing? And can we navigate through that? Can we be charitable? When, when should we call a person a heretic? That's a pretty serious thing. It's not something we should be using cheaply or quickly. But it is a it is a real thing. The Bible calls pastors in the church to be shepherds of the flock, to watch doctrine carefully, and to actually to identify the wolves. That's right. And that's what we've got to do. So, so you're developing in, in the dark right here, right? You're sitting down with your Bible, but you know you're going to be scrolling through some social media. How do you navigate what is the doctrines that you need to major on? What are the doctrines you need to minor on? When I hear someone call out a heretic, how do I know that person really is a heretic? Or is this person just being uncharitable to uh, a person who has a, a difference in a non-essential belief of the Christian faith? We're going to talk a little bit about essentials and non-essentials yeah. in, this, in our time together. We're going to talk about heretics and not heretics. So that's kind of what we're getting into here, because we know as you think about all the words that are coming into your life, many times you're going to be trying your best to listen to great Christian podcasts and pastors and teachers. You're going to be reading books. It's not just the social media stuff. It's that you want to be a good consumer of... That's exactly right. We've already talked about trying to build our catalog of people that don't just say something, but actually have something to say. We're trying to lean into the truth, the Word of God. And so you're going to, I remember this. I was, I I would be asking, hey, what podcast are you listening to? Hey, who's encouraging you? And then, you know, I'd I'd be getting encouraged by somebody or somebody else would, and I would hear somebody throw in, man, I I don't know about listening to them. They're a heretic. Mm. I've heard they're a heretic. Right. Right. I mean, this I think is just kind of common in the conversation. So let me just point back real quick. I think it's important to think about the scriptures. There's this moment where Apollos, you can just do a word search, Mm. is preaching this message, and they're talking about in the New Testament him being a powerful preacher, but then being pulled aside by Priscilla and Aquila, two other leaders in the church, 
and that they were correcting him on some doctrine. They just pull him aside. Hey. Doesn't seem like they're giving a public, hey, everybody go home. Don't listen to Apollos. He's a heretic. Right. <laughs> he, he was just a brother in error. Have you ever had that happen to you, somebody pull you aside? I definitely have had people pull me aside and realize that there was a— Trusted people. Trusted people. And, and they've got something that they had a question about something, or did you mean to say, oh, I don't think I said it that way. No, go back and you look at the tape. No, you did. Whoa. Whoa, I didn't mean to say it that well, way. Well, praise God, there's some grace right. that folks aren't saying— you're a heretic. I, I remember a specific instance. I was preaching in Israel, and I said a few things, and I had a friend come up to me afterwards and say, hey, did you realize you said that? That's not in the text. And I was like, no. You're, and I went back and read it, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I can't. It's I not missed, in the text. I, I've missed this for 30 years. Yeah. So, you know, I can remember the very first time I met my buddy Dan Leanne. I mean, Australia, he and I are just getting to know each other. Now Now we're a decade later. We're incredible friends. He works here on our staff, for those of you that know Dan. But I remember us having coming from completely different streams right. of Christianity. And he introduced me to a quote by John Wesley that I have just not forgotten. Mm. And I want to just commend it because I think it's going to help us. Here's the quote. In the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Mm. John Wesley. That's such a beautiful quotation. And you think about what are the parts of that? Like what is an essential? What is a non-essential? You know, the word charity is the way people used to say the word love, right? If you go back and look at the King James version of the Bible, where where we use the word love, it uses the word charity, right? So in all things love, right? So what is an essential? What is a non-essential? That's really, we're going to talk about that for the next couple of minutes, but this idea that there are some essentials, there's some some foundational uh, beliefs that all Christians across, cuts across denominations, cuts across all sorts of different kinds of people, but it's what defines Christianity as Christianity. The illustration that I've used so many times is a mousetrap. If you think about a mousetrap, in your brain, you got it. Picture. Is it a mechanical mousetrap, yeah, or is it a? Kind, uh-huh. It's the old kind with the wood base, and it's got the spring on it, and you put the cheese on it. The old, you know. And when it kills the mouse, it squishes it. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. Everybody Think, got that got picture that in, in their head? brain. There's only four or five pieces to that, and if you remove any of those pieces, you no longer have a mousetrap. Huh. So there's an irreducible complexity to the mousetrap. There's a place at which you can't reduce it any further. It stops being a mousetrap. You know, I think that's what the essentials, that's, if you get that in the back of your mind, Christianity reduced down to what makes Christianity, Christianity, uniquely Christ-centered, focused, what are the essential doctrines that make us who we are? Wow. That's, that's what an essential is. Now, the non-essentials are all the other things around that, yeah. right? And there are tons of things that are important, and we would even say... You should have an opinion you on. You should have an opinion on. There, there are uh, non-essential beliefs that uh, form kind of a basis of denominational life, even. And, you know, we look at the text, and we feel like, okay, we're reading this text, and as followers of Christ, we feel like baptism is an example. Baptism by immersion after salvation. That is not an absolute or an essential. There are plenty of people who were baptized in a different way that are going to be in heaven one day, Yep. right? Yep. 
but namely we, the thief on the cross, right, right beside exactly. Jesus. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Right. He didn't jump down and get baptized first, right? But we view that as a very important, yeah, non-essential. Go into all the earth and teach them and baptize them. That's right. So uh, even even that command, you know, when you think about the Great Commission, it tells you to do all of that, but it doesn't give you all the house, mm-hmm. right? So people have different opinions about how to go into the earth and, and preach the gospel. And those opinions and convictions about how that works are non-essentials. And we want to be charitable and loving to people who think differently than we do on those things, Yeah. right? So as you think about that, I mean, I'm, a, you know, I'm just thinking about the person who listening to this podcast, trying their best to follow God, and all this stuff is coming at them. How do they know the difference between an essential and a non-essential? It, it, it is not an easy thing, is it? No, but I will say that we've got to reckon that we have to do it. That's not right. doing it is not an option. That's exactly because of right. because of the scripture, remember we've already said the word of God is going to be our authority. We're going to get under that, and so there are all kinds of places. First Timothy four sixteen. Watch your life and, and doctrine, doctrine. Yep. closely, closely. Right, mm. um, just comes to mind. So there's all kinds of pastoral um, epistles, right? Mm-hmm. The first, letters. And, first and second mm-hmm. Timothy. Yep. That in Titus. Paul's telling gonna, Timothy, oh. you got to be careful. You got to look out. So. You know, think about Timothy in Ephesus, probably, yep, yep. and he's he's a pastor there. And uh, Paul is telling him, as the shepherd, the young shepherd of this group, you've got to really pay attention to your doctrine because you you are the shepherd that's you know looking out for the sheep, and you're you're looking out for the wolves too. He told he tells him, right. watch out for those wolves. Right. So imagine Timothy digging into his scripture and watching closely his doctrine and trying to figure out. Okay, what, what what's the core thing? Now, when I begin thinking about the uniqueness of our Christian faith and how to do this, you know, there's some keys to it, I think, that we want to talk about. One is you got to be reading the Bible and you got to be reading it over and over and over again. That's really the only way that you are going to begin making some of these connections. So if I said to you, Brad, what's the doctrine of angels or what's the doctrine of hell or what's the doctrine of heaven, what you would do if, you know, you didn't have other tools is you would read the Bible through and you would mark all the places that talk about angels, right? And then all the collected teaching of the Bible on angels, that's the doctrine or the teaching. The word doctrine means teaching. That's the teaching of angels, Right. In the scriptures, in the scriptures. Through the, from beginning to end. Right. And this is when you've heard the phrase or wonder about systematic theology. That's it. That's it. Right. So it's, it's essentially systematic theology is a word study, right? Yeah. So I'm The gonna, culmination. Right. I'm going to start with the word angel, and I'm going to go through left to right. But the problem is once you're reading through the Bible left to right, you get distracted, and you're not necessarily asking and answering questions about angels after the third or fourth chapter of the Bible. Yeah. So people who, who have done this before us... And that's a key. Ha, right. They have collected the doctrine of angels or whatever the doctrine is, and they've helped us. Now, we've got to go and test that. We've got to go check it against Scripture and that kind of thing. But way back in church history, we have people who have helped us understand what these these doctrines are. And you and I have got to read, read, read the text so that we can begin making some of those connections ourselves. So that's a that's an amazing thing. It's kind of like, you know, my 
early training was as a music teacher. And somebody would say, how do you get better at singing? There's only one way to get better at singing. You can do all the theory you want. You can read books about singing. You can do whatever you want. But you have got to sing to get better at singing. Do you want to sing? No. Uh, <laughs> but the idea here is if you want to get better at this doctrine thing, you've got to read the text. So that's a huge deal. The next thing is you've got to settle this authority question. We've talked a little bit about that already. Yeah, and I think just to call back on some of the previous podcasts, you can't be a chronological snob. That's right. You've got to trust the Word of God, and you've got to trust that there have been brilliant minds, brilliant minds that have wrestled so many of these conversations and and moments to the ground up and against their life and death. Mm. So for me, looking back over the different councils and the different creeds and the different moments that this has happened in church history, you look back and you go, oh my gosh, this has been wrestled. I can trust that this is authoritative. So I would say that something like uh, John Wesley's making a real appearance here today. Mm-hmm. Wesley's quadrilateral is a really a really good test. So mm-hmm. hey, what does the scripture say? Because that's the course correction, right? That's the course correction during the Reformation. That was the course correction throughout multiple moments in church history. But not just what does the scripture say, what does church history and tradition tell us that's helpful. And so those things can be authoritative. And that way I'm not just being swept up by a cultural moment. Mm. Like when somebody says today, a modern reading, if you will, because this is super trendy. Well, that word actually means this. I don't know if anybody's heard any of that. Like, that word actually means, yeah. or in that context, this word means. Now, there's, there's validity to some of that. Maybe. maybe but that, some that, of it. If that's a modern reading, that nobody in church history for 1,800 years right. ever came to the conclusion that we're coming to today yeah. based Anytime on a different somebody agenda. somebody says new, yeah. you got to be real, real like antenna up. Now, well, it is possible. It is. That, that there would be a corrective there, but you, you know, what you're doing is you're taking all of that together Right? You're looking at the text, you're reading it, you're taking in church history, and it would be to think. What are you going to sit down and tell Augustine, years, you're wrong? After Athanasius, you're after wrong. Years, yeah. Yeah. You know, so you've got to be super careful. But guys, this happens all the time. And just let me say this a little bit of this, and I, we are nerds. I mean, if oh, you can't yeah. figure that out by now, we love, love this. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the downsides of the academy right now is that when you go after your master's, your doctorate, your do- your PhD, you are supposed to break new ground, mm, right? You got to right. break new ground. That's and so right. that means you got to come up with some kind of theory or hypothesis or angle. Something that no one's ever thought of before, which is ridiculous. Right. And you're going to break this new ground because that's how you get your letters. That's how you mm-hmm. get your, that's how you get in the academy. And so many people are taking our modern tendencies, our progressive readings and trying to break new ground. And man, this is where you see heresy. That's right. So settling the authority question is massive. 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 The other thing I would commend to you is this very simple principle of zooming in and zooming out as you're reading. Yeah, get down in the dirt. Yep. In get other a, words, what, what's that word? What does that word say? And then zoom out and look at... Get the, way up in the sky. Right. Look at so the big picture. I call it garden-to-garden thinking, right? Meta-narrative. Like when I say meta-narrative, I'm like, what is the story through the whole Bible? Um you know, there's plenty of places in Scripture that talk about something very specific, but then if you zoom out, you see it in a bigger context. You know, this actually reminds me of one of the very best books that I've read that zooms in and zooms out, and, and it's actually some really cultural spaces, too, that I think will be helpful. We'll put it in the notes, but it's by Webb, and he looks at three, and they call this trajectory hermeneutics. Okay. Nerdy. So 
Zulu words. Yep. Hermeneutics, how you interpret the Bible. Yep. And trajectory is like the The, the arc of the arc. all of the right. garden to garden. Mm-hmm. And the three things that Webb really does this with are with women, sexuality, and slavery. Mm. Those are three things that we talk Issues. about a lot. We we look at a lot. What does the Bible, what's the trajectory of the garden to garden view? in the scriptures of those three things, and it'll help you begin to interpret how do we address them today. An example would be marriage, right? And you you look at maybe a specific place in scripture and you're zoomed in and you're looking at some of these patriarchs who have multiple wives and you're like, wait a minute, is that is that good? Why don't we have multiple wives? Right. Well, there are some that do. Well, and you, you look at those and you go, okay, if I zoom in, I realize it never goes well for them, multiple wives. But and as I zoom out, I see in the garden a design, and then I see a progression or a trajectory of what's happening in the biblical narrative. And I see Jesus saying, hey, you've heard it said this, but reach back to the garden. It wasn't that way from the beginning. In the beginning, I gave you... Man and woman, there to be, you know, husband and wife. Matthew 19. And then you see in Revelation, you see this beautiful picture of Jesus, the groom, and the church as the bride, right? And he told us that the clarity of marriage was actually pointing to that anyway, because once we're with him, we won't be married in the new kingdom. Anyway, that's another another day. Yeah, that's an example of this, this idea of zooming in and out. I love the analogy of a puzzle box. You know, you're zooming in to see the do you, Wait, wait, piece. hold on. Do you do puzzles? At, I at the, do at, puzzles. At the Cox house? I do. I'm not as I'm not as much of a puzzle guy as my my daughter and wife. Okay, they love puzzles. There's always there's usually a puzzle going in our house. Somewhere. Oh, really? We we haven't really gotten into puzzles at our house often. We've got like the little kid puzzles, but maybe maybe we'll do some more puzzles. No, you need a th- one of the big thousand pieces and that's when it gets fun. Well, and you're pointing this out, but one of the beautiful ways, the most I've heard it set up like this. The most important piece to the puzzle. Mm. You know, you've been putting a puzzle together and you can't find the piece. Yeah, and you got to do the corners. You're like, you gotta... well, well, you're like, where do, well, but wait, well, there's no piece missing. What's the mm. most, what is the most important piece to the puzzle? What is? And some would say maybe it's the corners because, you know, that's where the puzzle turns. Some mm. of them, it's the board. The most important piece maybe is, is the one I can't find, right? Yeah. But it's the front of the box. It's, it's the front of the box because you can look at the big picture. That is and understand what to do with the smaller pieces. And I think for us, as we're looking at essentials, we're trying to understand what is true. Close my hands around. Who is a heretic? What is heresy? What do we need to do when it comes to building our lives and building our theology? So. The front of the box. What are we aiming at? Mm, what so are we trying good. to build? So where do we get the front of the box? That's a question. Yeah, it, it really is. You think about this idea of getting the front of the box. I would say, you know, as you zoom out and you begin thinking about what is an essential, what you know, we often call an absolute of the Christian faith, how do I know that against maybe something that's not an absolute? It's a maybe a non-essential or even just a conviction that we have based on Scripture. And then beyond that even is just an opinion. It's not even a strongly held conviction. It's just like, where do dinosaurs come from or something? It just doesn't really... There's a million opinions, yeah. and you just can't really get to a conviction about it. How do you distinguish between those things in the sense of zooming out to see the puzzle box? I think there's a couple of ways. One is the clarity the frequency and the focus of the text, right? There are 
places in the Bible that you can look at one part of the scripture, you can zoom in, and you can see a whole doctrine right there. John 3.16 is a great example. I can zoom in to John 3.16, and I can see a picture of the For gospel. God so loved the world right. that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him doesn't perish but have everlasting life. Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Right. right? And I can, I can learn so much from that without zooming out. But if I really, if I want to get this idea of what is, what's an essential, let's zoom out the clarity, the frequency, the focus of Scripture, right? right? And, um, you know, what you're doing there... Well, let's use that as an example. Okay, okay. let's chase this. Yeah. John 3.16, because there are some universalists that take John 3.16 to mean God's done it, I don't have to do anything else. Right. God so loved the world that he gave his only son... Exactly. Well, what you've got to do in those cases is you're, you're taking that Scripture that does a pretty good job of a summary doctrine... And you've got to take it and test it against other scriptures. And they're not at odds, but rather hold them in tension. Right. Hold them in tension. They're both simultaneously true. That's right. And so you're looking at this idea of frequency in the text and the focus of it. And, you know, examples of focus would be the character of God. Like, when does the Bible talk about the character of God? And I want to make sure that whatever I'm discussing and talking about doesn't bump up against the, and contradict what we know to be true from the text about the character of God. Yeah, that's good. So God's reputation. How does God's reputation and who he is and what this Bible says about who he is get either confirmed or, wait a minute, that would, that would make the character of God. If I read this text this way, that would mean that God's changing. Yeah. Okay, well, I know God, God doesn't, doesn't change. Because I've got all these texts that, that He's confirm. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I've got that. So I, when I'm looking at this text, and it, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe God changes. I know that can't be the right reading of the Conclusion. text. Conclusion. Right. Yeah. Uh, how this doctrine bumps up against and relates to the doctrine of salvation. Okay, I'll give you a perfect example okay. of this from Acts. It says, you know, repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. Okay. okay. So, so if you only had that, you hyper-focus in on that, you zoom in, in on it, that. It would, you would assume that to be saved, you've got to not only repent, but be baptized. For the remission of sin. Right. Otherwise, you still are in sin. So what I've got to do is I've got to zoom out and say, okay, it, are there other texts that help me understand what it means to be saved. I'm thinking about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's for by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not, not by works so that no man or woman could boast. Right. So you would think, okay, if I've got to get baptized, that's a work. Right. Right. So well, what be, about Romans 10? Right. If I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, God raised Jesus from the dead, I'll be saved. Right. And, and, and then again, there. what about the thief on the cross? Exactly. He's always a really great litmus test for me when it comes to the doctrine of right. soteriology, yeah. salvation. Salvation, yeah. yeah. So what i got to do, and i got to take all of that, and I come back now to the text in Acts and go, well, it can't mean, you know, so We've so rounded so, it out. We've right. held it in tension. What does it mean yeah. then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And, you know, specific to that text, you know, you, you take an aspirin because you already have a headache, right? You take an aspirin for a headache. So the key word right there is for. You're baptized for the remission of sin. You already have it when you repent. So you're taking this, you're, you're being baptized because you already have done that. And that's how you kind of navigate through that. You've got to look in. You got to zoom out. You got to zoom in. You look at the clarity, the focus, the frequency, how it relates to the character of God, how it relates to the doctrine of salvation. 
and you look at the testimony of church history, which you've talked about already. 2,000 years. And y'all, we've got to reach back and grab these ancient believers, even the apostles, right? That's why the, the creeds are so important, the, these ancient uh, creeds and confessions. And, you know, you hear so much in the world today about, you know, creeds and whether or not we should be thinking about creeds or whatever. In, in Baptist world, they've t- traditionally said no creed but Christ, and they've rejected creeds. But I think we're living in... And a, that is of itself a creed. Right. And I think we're living in a consequence of that. Yeah. yeah. And what what we would say is we're not going to make creeds the end all. The, the scripture is the end all. But we're going to reach back to 2,000 years of church history. We're going to look back at the apostles. No, there's and the a lot of safety teaching. there. And right. we've got to have that, Trev, because right. right now we're recognizing that a lot of people that call themselves Christians, really when it comes to what they believe, which is, by the way, what creed means, credo, what they believe, they don't believe the actual Orthodox Bible. All right. Orthodox. When, when you think orthodox, you're thinking... Right teaching. Right teaching. Good doctrine. Right. The, the thing that Paul wrote to Timothy and the, said, you got to watch. Right, the old traditional teaching. So, so what do you believe? And listen, three categories that are going to help you. Trevor's already mentioned this, but it's so important. You've got to remember the absolutes. The absolutes, the essentials. Written in... Blood. Blood. I think that's really helpful. Yep. And then you move out a little further, and these are the things that are written in pen... Convictions. Convictions. You should Important. have, you got to have a conviction. You should be able, and then you move out a little bit further. These can be written in pencil, and these are opinions. Right. It's my opinion. So, get, super helpful language when you're having a conversation with a believer who doesn't believe exactly like you in every space, but you can agree on the absolutes. Because some of the personalities of each other, some to some people, everything is the most oh, important oh, thing. Absolutely. And we've got to actually begin to categorically think in three. Opinions, convictions, and essentials. Mm-hmm. We got to think about pencil, pen, and blood. That's right. And when it comes to the blood stuff, that's where we've got to be willing, listen, to give our life for. That's, that's right. why it's, Jesus gave his life for it, and I've got to be willing to die for it. These are the kind of things that you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I won't bow. I right. will not bow. Well, we started our conversation talking about heretic hunting. And I think the thing that, you know, as you're listening to this, that we'd just really love for you to take away is this Charles Wesley quote. Yeah. And in the the Charles Wesley quote, Brad mentioned this earlier, in essentials, unity. We're we're agreeing here. We're all together. Yep. In non-essentials, liberty. We have freedom to disagree here. In all things, charity. In all things. That's all the time we have for you today. We hope you're blessed as you develop in the dark. Thanks for listening to Develop in the Dark. We hope that today's episode will help the light in you shine brighter than the light on you.